Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Hello, everybody. I am Lucia Matuonto, and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Welcome back to another episode of the Relatable Voice. Today, the RV is heading to Southern California to speak with Jamal Givanji. Jamal is a full-time life coach, author, and podcaster. His book, Living for a Living, is out now. So, Jamal, welcome to the RV. Lucia, thank you so much for, uh, for just having me on your show. I've been looking forward to our conversation. Thank you for visiting Southern California with yeah, the RV. I love California. Actually, the mountains there are just fantastic. Jamal, your podcast is called The Lovecast with Jamal. Mm-hmm. And I'm always curious about how people come up with titles but yours seems to be obvious totally totally well yes i i the idea behind the the podcast the name of the podcast is uh it, it comes from well I, my my first book that i wrote was called free to love and it's a it's about uh you know the idea is when we go beyond our own programming our own psychological structure all the things that tend to make us who we are, when we can create a little bit of distance between that and our true self, it's very natural for us to love to and to be loved, to love and to be loved. So the love cast is are conversations that have to do with our true nature, getting back to our true nature so that we can do what comes very natural to us, which is to love. Uh-huh. And what are the topics that frequently come up on your show besides law of course (laughs) totally well as i'm a life coach by profession so that's uh what i do full-time and in my coaching work um you know we're always talking about ways to take control of our inner life of our thought life of coming into you know understanding who we are beyond our programming. So what I try to do on my podcast now is I, I try to find people who are, who have something, you know, that they want to share with the world and something they could help others with. And, and typically, so I, I will interview people on my podcast and we draw out a deeper narrative that the listeners can walk away with um, something that will empower them, help them to see life beyond the illusion that uh, so, so many of us have been programmed with. So mm-hmm. so I will subscribe to your podcast as soon as we finish our conversation. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, of course. And somehow you were raised in Columbus, Ohio, and now mm-hmm. live 
mountains of Southern California. Is that correct? That's correct. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So can you share with us what your childhood was like in Ohio? Because Ohio is so different than California. <laughs> it's very, very different. Um, well, Ohio, you know, I don't know what people's impression of Ohio. There's not a lot. Well, it was, it, that's a, a judgment. Comparatively to other parts of the world, there's not a lot happening in Ohio, right? So it's even the cities have a small town feel to it. Columbus is a big city. It's one of the top. It's in the top 20 biggest cities in America, but um, but it has a small town feel. So uh, for me growing up there, I, I didn't have a typical you know, Midwest is considered the Midwest in, in America, you know, so in the Midwest, it's, uh, can be rural, a lot of farming, a lot of, uh, blue collar kind of workers. You know, so my mom, my mother's side has that cause she's originally from Southern Ohio, Southeastern Ohio. Uh, so there was that dynamic. My father, as we were talking before we came yeah. on air here, uh, my father is, was, was born in East a little Island called Zanzibar, which is in East Africa. Um, so he grew up in very different culture. Um, he's from India originally is his, his heritage is Indian. So comes from an Indian family, but, but born in, in Zanzibar lived, grew up there. It was a very devout Muslim family. <laughs> My mother was born and raised in Southeastern Ohio, which I grew up on a farm or a rural area. Um, very different culture, but they were pen pals. That's how they met. My dad was living in East Africa. My mother was living in Ohio and they were just writing to each other. They actually wrote letters. This was in the late sixties, early seventies. And they wrote letters for six years. They had never met. They exchanged letters about two letters a month. And it was a very difficult situation for my father because it was a British Zanzibar was a British colony. And then there was a revolution. They became independent. And then there was a revolution on the Island and it was annexed by Tanzania. So there was a lot of uh, violence and his family had to escape and they moved to Mombasa, Kenya. So at the time, my father, he had no country really because the, the, the passport he carried for Zanzibar was like the null and void. It was because they were only independent for one year and he had a passport. So he moves to Kenya and he's not a Kenyan citizen. He's not a, he used to be a British subject because they were British colony. We lost that when they, when they became independent and then the government of Zanzibar full, you know, became defunct after they were taken over. So he was like a, a man without a country. Well, it, <laughs> it reminds me of that movie with Tom Hanks. Yes. Terminal, terminal, terminal. Yes. Very similar to that. Now my father was able to get a passport in the kind of what they call the black market and it helped him uh to be able to to survive but he he was you know there was a really challenging situation and my mother so he decided to propose to my mother i mean which was non-typical in a letter they had never met just as a whim like this may be my ticket out but my mother uh she's not somebody who was very you know, she's very conservative by nature and that kind of thing, but she said yes. And uh, without giving it much thought, she just knew this is what I need to do. This is the right thing. She sent him some money, about $600 in those days. And he made his way eventually to Europe and then eventually to the United States and they got married. And, you know, uh, so he, 
and then my brother and I have an older brother, a year and a half older. He, my brother came first and then I, I came out, you know, I was born. And so I grew up in a household. Um, now they agreed. They were both, but what, what I didn't mention is my mother was a devout Catholic. She wanted to be a nun before, before, you know, my dad proposed. So that didn't work out for her. So she ended up accepting the proposal. So I grew up in this household where we have two very different cultures, very different religious face and they agreed to disagree and not to, you know, it was going to be a, they weren't going to try to change each other. It was going to be okay. But then when uh, children were born, that's where the tension came in because my father said, no, they have to be Muslim. And my mother was like, no, they're going to be Catholic. So there was this kind of tug of war. So I grew up, but I've always been inquisitive. I wanted to know the deeper things in life. Why are we here? What's the purpose of this? What I was always intrigued by my dad's story, my mother's story, trying to figure out what the deeper meanings of life was. So that's kind of my background. That's how I grew up in um, non-typical. And I knew, okay, how do I make sense of these different faiths, these different ways of approaching the world? But what I picked up on, though, was a lot of anxiety and struggle uh, because of the background in poverty. You know, when my my father grew up in a very impoverished part of the world, and my mother, even in Ohio, the 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 part of Ohio she was from, a lot of generational poverty. So I picked up on that that anxiety as a child that life was about just paying the bills, survival, getting a job, and there was something deep inside that I knew that can't be all that life's about. Like we we can't just be here to just survive and pay the bills. There has to be more to life than, than this. And, but, and I was always, and I was on a mission to discover what is that? What's the deeper reason why we're here? Why should we survive? So what if we survive? What's the point? And I was trying to discover that. And I think my, my, my parents struggle helped me to, to go deeper because I saw their struggle and it was really, um, I was determined to solve the, the problem that they were unable to solve. Which it, if that makes sense. Wow, what a story. And I saw that you became a pastor. Mm-hmm. I did. I did. So, so what, that I've always been now, again, as from an early, as an early chi- uh, child, I remember asking the question, why are we here? What's the point? I didn't realize that those are spiritual questions. Um, and what I mean by spiritual, my understanding of spiritual means it goes beyond what we can see physically the physical world, the spiritual process is there's a dimension of life that goes beyond the physical. For example, love. When we talk about love, what is love? Where is it? It, It's not something you can point to, or it's not something that has a location, but it is the most important. The most important things in life are that way, which go beyond the physical. And that is what I mean by spiritual. Now, when I got older, um, part of my journey led me to what I would call, you know, organized religion, because that there were people that I began to become associated with that were seen to be asking those questions or looking in it's in it's in this, that was a part of my journey that was attempting to answer the question. Is there a point to life? Is it just about survival? And so within those circles of, of Christianity, what I was getting was no, there is a point to life. Uh, it's more than just survival. And uh, I love that. And that really drew me in. And so I, I did that for a number of years and I did that until that didn't, that didn't work. <laughs> so it ended up not working for me because what I didn't realize was I had such a passion to change the world and to help people 
but I didn't realize that that starts with me. You can't skip yourself in the process. You know, you, you can only share with people uh, to the degree that you have experienced the message that you're trying to deliver. And that I did, I wasn't aware of because <laughs> uh, so much focus was going, was, was focused on what am I, what am I going to do? I have to make sure my life is significant. If life is more than just survival, then what is it that I'm here to do? And I was so focused in, 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 in there's a form, there was an ambition that I had that um, kept me distracted from my own inner pain that I had not yet dealt with. And so eventually I had to deal with that. So um, life came to a screeching halt after se- several years of uh, really trying to run for myself. And uh, I lost everything. I became, uh, lost my job, lost my marriage, lost everything and got to the point where I had no choice, but to look inward and began to do this healing work on myself. And so that was a key. I was a catalyst for my life. Very important season in life that allowed me to forget everything else and to really just focus on who am I and what, you know, going beyond my programming, going beyond my own trauma, learning to, to, to get very present with my pain, to heal, to experience healing. And then that's when I discovered, Oh, now I have a message. It's my message. It's the message of life and my own healing. Uh, that I, I that I have that I can offer the world now. So that's a lot of years in a nutshell boiled down. But yeah, and do you think it was not only one thing that caused you to take the decision and thought now I need to do something for myself? What was mm. the catalyst? <laughs> start looking inward at my own life. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, it's a good question. Yes. There was a, there was a season of my life where like, as I mentioned, you know, I went through a divorce. I lost most of my contacts, most of job. I, to the point where I was, I had nothing left in life. And I remember wanting to die. I, I was at a point of just suicide. I, I, I would tell people, I didn't even have the energy to commit suicide or else I would have, I was so depleted, but if I could have pushed a button to just make my life disappear, I would have pushed the button. And I remember this thought I, when I was in that season, a really, really dark season, this thought entered my head and it was, it seemed, it wasn't my thought. It it seemed like it came from beyond me. And the thought was, well, since you want to die, why don't you do research on people who have died? and start to listen to their stories. Maybe you'll learn something. So I, I, I felt this jolt of energy. I felt some intrigued. I was like people who have died. So I started doing research on people who have died and came back, was resuscitated and had experiences. So there was a, a, a doctor, a medical doctor who had actually written a book. I discovered a book. It was called Life After Life I know by uh, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Moody. Yeah. And he documented 100 cases, 100 patients that he could verify that they had actually experienced clinical death. They were declared dead. Uh, They had experiences that they should not have been aware of, like conversations, awareness of certain things that happened after they died that they were very present for, but they were dead. And then they were resuscitated. And so he did research and he would tell their stories in this book. And I, you know, read that book. I watched interviews, listened to lots of talks and lectures from these people and what they discovered was amazing. And it, even though I had not had that experience, it was like, it was 
their experience became my experience listening to these stories. And these people came from many different cultures, different backgrounds, different beliefs, but it didn't matter. There was a, there was similarity in all the stories, all the experiences. And one of the similarities in all the experiences that people had after they had died is that they were shown that their life was very significant, that their life had meaning that's they were here on purpose, that all people are here on purpose, that everything we do in life affects everybody, um, whether we're aware of it or not. And that it wasn't their time. What was communicated to them was, this is not your time. You can't stay here. You have to go back to your body. You have to go back to your life because your mission is not complete because there is something you're here to do and there's something you're here to learn. And it's not one thing, it's many things. They weren't told what that was. They just said, "You'll life will show you. Like you just, you need to go back and show up for your life, basically. And that radically impacted me because what it did is it showed me if I wake up in the morning and I'm alive today, it's because it's on, it's on purpose. I am here on purpose and it's not my time to go. That means I'm, I'm, I'm needed here. There's something I'm here to do. There's something I'm here to learn. And that's true of all of us. And I realized that that, so this, this was a catalyst that said, okay, I need to figure out like nothing matters. So what, you know, that I lost everything. So what people may think, so it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, my life has inherent meaning because I exist. So my job is to learn how to show up for my life and to do it well. And so then I became open to coaching. I became open to help from others. And eventually I was in a conversation many years later or with, with a person. And I was just sharing what I had learned, what I had been through. And she, she had somebody who struggled with addiction and she was listening to me and she said, have you ever thought about doing this? I said, doing what? She said this, like what you're doing with me, like helping me, like what you're sharing is incredibly important, but like you could do this all the time for your job or something. And I was like, what does that mean? She's like a coach or something. And honestly, that was the first time I had ever even considered that thought because when I gave up my life, when I stepped, you know, walked away from being a pastor and, you know, I gave up all of those aspirations and dreams of wanting to be, because it didn't matter to me. Now it was just about, I need to show up for myself. I have no more ambition. But when she said that it clicked and it was like, oh, okay. It, I just had it out of order before. And it just, something came alive within me. I realized, okay, now I, I actually have something to not, for, I have something to offer, not from a place of need, but from a place of sharing. It's like overflow. I have something to actually offer before I was trying to meet a need. I was trying to prove a point. My life has meaning. So I'm going to do something great. Now it's not about that. My life has meaning because I exist, not because I do yeah. something. I like <laughs> it. I exist. Now I have something to share. No strings attached. And that's when I knew, okay, that, that was the catalyst to say, let me, let me look into this and explore. What would that mean? What would that look like in my life to help people? And eventually it led, led me was, it's been a process, but eventually it led me into writing the books and, you know, becoming podcaster and coach and that kind of thing. So it's been a process. It's time for today's lucky land horoscope with Victoria cash. 
Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yes. And you published the book Living for Living, which is a bestseller. And this is amazing. You, you are helping other people. You help it yourself. And now you are being able to help other people. So what is the significance of this title? <laughs> well, I, I I love the question because the title "Living for a Living." So here in the states, and I'm sure it's this way everywhere, but I'm sure you're aware. In the states, people will say when they want to know what what what's your job, they say, "What do you do for a living?" Right? Mm-hmm. What do you do for a living? And f- for me, that that question always was kind of a a point of irritation for me because I understand the question. But going back to my childhood, I watched my parents. So my mom and dad, they, they were very, very hard workers. They worked jobs. They, my mother worked for the state of Ohio. She worked very hard, but she hated her job to the point that sometimes when she'd wake up in the morning to go to work, she would feel nauseated. She, she, would, she wouldn't even want to go to work, but she did this for 30 years because she felt like she had to, she had no choice. So I remember watching that and I said, you know, I appreciate her sacrifice. It was noble. I knew she was doing it for us, for the family, but there was something deep inside that said, but this is her life. And it's, she's spending her hours and her days in misery because she's doing something she doesn't want to do. And I thought this can't be living. So what, what she did is for money, for the, for survival, when, so when, when we're in the survival process, we will give up our life. Interesting. Even though we're trying to save it, we will give up our life in order to survive. But then at the end of the day, the question is like, well, then why are we surviving? What's the point of survival? So living and surviving are not the same thing. And typically what people do for money is not living. It's, 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 it's not about life. So really the question is people should just say, what is it that you do for money? And that's the question. But when you say, what do you do for a living? Well, my answer is I live for a living. And then I thought, what if I could actually live for a living? What if I could, what if my work in the world could actually be in alignment with who I am as a person, what my values are as a person, what I'm passionate about in life? Because it's what you're passionate about in life that really is where your life is found. And I have discovered that if you will give your energy and focus to living, living well, living in alignment with what you're here to do, survival will happen. You don't have to worry about survival. It will come. Yes, we need money. We need things to, but, but I've learned that the universe is very abundant. Life is extremely abundant. And when we focus it on living, it's like a, 
analogy I like to use is like, is like a car. Think about a car. A car comes with four tires, right? Now you may want the tires and you could go and get the tires and you may have the tires, but why? What are you going to do with tires, right? If you have four tires sitting outside, you can't go anywhere without the car, right? So, but I say, if you buy the car, you'll have the tires and then the tires will have a purpose, right? Survival is this way. If you find out what your life is, who you are and what makes you come alive, that's, that's the, that's like the car, right? The, the survival process, which is like the tires, it comes with it. You don't have to worry about it. It will, it will take care of itself eventually. And that's what the book living for a living is about. It's about my, my journey from living from survival to actually living for a living in which my life's work is actually in alignment with who I am. And it's not for survival, but for living. You are a wonderful coach. Uh, thank you. Um, I read something. You talk about pain and suffering. So in your, in your opinion, what is the fundamental difference between pain and suffering? Yes, it's a, it's a very important uh, distinction to make because pain, in my understanding, life, there are painful events that happen in life. Uh, you know, there's, they're unavoidable. They, things will happen and they hurt. But the thing, if you look at pain, pain has a, a beginning and an end and it, it doesn't last forever. It's maybe you stub your toe when you're walking or something. There's a lot of pain. It only lasts for a couple of minutes. Suffering's a bit different, however. So I've heard it put this way. Pain is an event, but suffering is the story or narrative that we're telling about the event. So, you know, we make meaning out of things, right? So uh, another friend of mine always likes, he, he, he always tells me there are no problems in life. There are situations. There's just a series of situations. How we perceive the situation can determine you know, uh, if it's, if there's suffering or not. Right. So in and of itself is simply a situation. So let's I'll give you an example. Let's go back to the stubbing of the toe analogy. So let's say I, and this actually happened to me a few, few, a few weeks ago, I was, I got up at night and I had left a, a, a barbell, like an exercise equipment sitting out on the floor. And I didn't, I didn't realize it was there. So I stubbed my toe when I was walking and, and, oh. I, and it was a lot of pain. So for the first couple of minutes, you know, life is over, right? You can't think about tomorrow. You can't think about your life. Everything is gone. You know, it's just all the attention goes to the toe. It's so painful, right? But after a couple of minutes you know, the pain starts to wear down, you can start to, okay, okay. It's not the end of the world. Everything's okay. You know, you kind of get your bearings back again, but that's just pain. Suffering would look in the same situation. Let's say I stub my toe. It's obviously painful, but then I start, then the narrative starts to pick up and says, who left this on the floor? You know, I live with people. They're so inconsiderate. They don't pick up after themselves. This is the story of my life. You know, I can't do anything right. I can't even walk across the floor without stubbing my toe. This is life. This is what I have to deal with every day. Now I'm suffering mm -hmm. because there's a meaning now. There's, there's a narrative about what's happening. But in reality, life is this way, right? We give we give events meaning, but do the events have meaning? No, mm -hmm. there's just events. So I always tell people, if who's giving it the meaning? So I was having another conversation recently, and somebody asked me. They said, "What's the best advice somebody's ever given you?" And I said, "Well, 
that life is meaningless. <laughs> and he said, what do you mean life is meaningless? How is that good news? I said, no, no, I didn't say it was insignificant. I didn't say it's not important. But what I mean is in and of itself, it has no meaning. I, so for, I said, for example, where is life right now? Is this moment. So let's look at this moment. What does it mean? What does this moment mean? It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it's just this moment. Yeah. Like today is today is Wednesday, right? So what does it mean that it's Wednesday? Now, some people would say, oh, it's Wednesday. That means I'm halfway to the weekend. It's a good day, right? Some people would say, oh, it's only Wednesday. Yeah. I have the rest of the week. So now, so Wednesday has no meaning, but we give it the meaning. We give it the meaning. So when I say it's meaningless, life, life is just a series of events. It has no inherent meaning. It is important, but who's giving it the meaning? We are. So I, I like to say, if you're going to give life meaning, then give it the meaning that you want it to have. That's going to create an experience that's going to be high level experience that you're going to enjoy this thing called life. Because if you give it a different meaning, a negative meaning, a meaning that something is wrong, that there's a problem, if it's coming from lack, now that this goes into our programming. If we are programmed to see life as not enough, what I need for life is not enough, then I may see life as not enough, which then feels like lack. And then I'm going to give it the meaning that, you know, so I grew up in, like I mentioned, my father, he grew up in a lot of poverty. So when he saw life, struggle, suffering, not enough. And that's how he saw life. And that's how I learned to see life. This caused so much suffering for me for years until I, I realized I'm making that. That's a meaning I'm giving life. It doesn't have to be that. It, it, it actually, and if I can change my programming, then I can choose how I want to see life. So, so today I see life as abundant. Now it works much better this way. <laughs> it works much better because our perception is what we experience. Uh-huh. And as a life coach, Jamal, why is it so difficult for most of us to follow through and act on the things we want in life? Because it's so difficult for some people Mm -hmm. to decide, not only decide, to have the courage to go and change their lives. So why is it so difficult? It's a great question. And, and, and the reason that so many people stay stuck is not because people want to be stuck, but there's a couple of reasons. Number one, we've, and this isn't conscious, as a lot of this is unconscious or subconscious, there's a lot of, a lot of times people have become identified with their problems, meaning they've learned to build a lot of identity. Like if let's say I'm, this is just how I am people. How many times have you heard people say, this is just who I am. And so they've identified with a, a pattern, with a way of being that could be, maybe somebody has anger problems. Maybe somebody has, maybe somebody, it's just, I'm not one of those rich people that can do anything in life. People have identified with their poverty. People can identify with their struggle at some fundamental level. And that gives us a lot of comfort in some ways, because then we have an excuse. Oh, well, this is just the way it is. And then we take, we become comforted. It's, it's, it's not an effective way, but it's a way to, to, to draw some comfort. The other, the other, the other reason people struggle and get stuck. And, and again, this goes back to the subconscious is because when we look at life or we even think about the future, right? So when we think of the future, 
I like to tell people future does not exist. It's not, you can't find it anywhere, but most people actually, they don't think about this, but most people actually believe the future already exists and they are, they are, they are afraid of it. So there's a fear of the future. This is why when most problems, when people have problems, I say, where is the problem? It's in your mind. And it's a, it's in the perception of the future. It may be five minutes in the future. It may be next year, but it's always, how is this going to happen? How will I do this? And there's a fear and anxiety there. But I always say, you can't be afraid of something that doesn't exist. So if the future doesn't exist, what is, what's happening? Well, it's happening in the mind. The mind is, is imagining a situation that is working out in a way that we don't want it to work out. So where is the mind getting that information? It's can't get it from the future. It doesn't exist. So the only, there's only one place they can get it from, and that's the past. So the mind is taking something from the past that felt scary, that felt, uh, you know, some trauma, some pain from the past. And the mind automatically draws from that kind of reservoir and says, okay, this is what I'm working with. So the mind, this is how the brain works. The brain can only imagine the future based upon the past that it's seen and experienced. If we didn't have those past experiences, then life could be, the future would be very exciting because it's new. It's we've never been here. We, what could we explore and discover? It's like going on a voyage on a trip, right? You take a trip. It's exciting. Why? Because we've never been here. Like a key. This is new. Yeah. The babies, babies for them. Everything is absolutely because they're pre they have present tense awareness. So that if we're drawing from the past, however, that's where our sense of limitation may come. So the reason people stay stuck is because they can only visualize the past. But again, there, it takes, it takes a, it's a process to learn to create a gap between our past experience and our present, our present tense awareness, right? So life can only exist. Life only exists in this moment. It doesn't exist in the past because where's the past? It's nowhere. It's gone. It's just, we have the records in our mind, but it doesn't exist. So there, there, it is a process. Now, when we talk about, you know, even getting down to the more, the deeper question of who am I, right? So who's Jamal, who is Lucia, right? These are concepts, right? So the concept people will point to their body, right? Their physical body or their mind, right? They'll say, well, I am me. Well, when we say I am me, we're talking about our experiences. We're talking about our body. We're talking about our mind, but in reality, all the body is, is accumulations from the past of the food we've eaten. Physical body is just the food, metabolite. That's it from the past. So when you see the body, you see the past, not the present. And, and the same thing with the mind. What is the mind? It's just an accumulation of thoughts, beliefs, experiences. It's the past. So this is not who we are. <laughs> the past doesn't exist. We have a body and a mind, but it's actually not who we are. Who we are in a, and to be very simplistic about it, who we are is simply the awareness that exists in this moment. It's the conscious awareness of this moment. And that is, that's a spiritual, that, well, that's what I mean by the spiritual process. It goes beyond the physical body, mind construct. And when we have, when we can see life the way it is in this moment, we will see that all things are possible because we don't have a past to limit us. It's just this moment. And what can happen from this moment? Well, the future can be anything, but it's going to be determined. Whatever we call the future is determined 
by the way we're interacting with this moment. If I'm in resistance to this moment because it feels scary, which is just the past, then I'm going to create what I'm resisting. And there's a principle here, what you resist persists in life. So, but if I can just deal with this moment with full open-handed acceptance, with full presence, you could create whatever you want to create. That's, that's what's possible for all of us. And when people start to understand that, they start to create their life on their terms, mm-hmm. not, not on the terms of their programming, if that makes sense. I love this answer, Jamal. And that's why it's so important to live the present because mm-hmm. like said, we don't know if there will be a future. We don't know mm-hmm. if we are going to wake up tomorrow morning. Yeah, I, I just love that's it. Right. And I asked you about your goals and aspirations. And you said that you want to be catalyst for peace and well-being for individuals, companies, and even our nation. So what does peace and well-being look like to you? Yes, thank you. So my understanding of what peace is, is non-resistance, meaning so when we talk, think about it for the body for a moment, when we get sick, we call that a dis-ease, right? So it's really two words in English, dis-ease. It's a breakdown in ease. So, you know, dis-ease at a, at a, at, in relationships looks like conflict. <laughs> dis-ease in international with, between countries, it looks like war. Mm-hmm. So when we restore eat now in the body, it looks like how we call it health right? Ease is health. Disease is the breakdown in health, right? But my peace is the restoration of ease. It's the ending of conflict internally because all breakdown, whether it's in our body, when it comes to disease or when it comes to conflict in relationships or even war is because it first, the ease broke down in, individually because people are making decisions. People are, it's people who are doing these things. And this, where does everything start? Well, it starts internally in here before it can ever happen out here. The external world is simply a mirror of the internal world. So my desire is that we, and, and I, I was telling somebody this, just this today, I actually believe that we can end war in our lifetime. We are at a, pl- a point of consciousness, but it, it will not happen apart from individual people coming to an end of war within themselves, coming into a place of ease within themselves, because the people who create war externally are people who are not at home, not at they're in survival mode in themselves. And when we're in survival mode, we act of that survival fear and the actions of that create conflict. But this is, this is true in relationships. This is true in everything. So my, my desire is that we would create peace, it's much easier to think, well, can I create inner peace before I can create international peace? Well, where do you start with that? Well, you start with, with people and with individual people coming in, learning how to create ease within their own system. The rest is just an outplay of that. So that's my, that's my desire is to create peace individually, internally for people to help, because that's what we all want anyway. Nobody, nobody desires conflict. I think every human being, even the people who fight war, if you ask somebody who's fighting a war, why are you at war? They'll say, because we want peace. 
We have to fight war. The, the goal of war is to end it, right? To end the, the threat, whatever it may be, so we can eventually have peace. But you can never get to peace through violence, through war. Peace, you actually have to start with peace. Exactly. Totally. I agree with you 100% somehow. So somehow, what's next for you? Well, I'm open to what's next. I think I think what I see, what I can visualize is, a, you know, I conversations that we're having, like we're having today are so important. And uh, I, I always like to say this when I'm on a podcast, thank, you know, I always want to thank the person because so for you to create your show and to do it consistently and to have these kind of conversations, it takes, it takes a lot of work. I don't think a lot of people realize the, the attention, the consistency, uh, it, it just, it takes a lot of work. And so, um, first of all, so I commend you for that. Thank you for, for what you're doing and what you're creating in the world, because this is actually how the frequency of people's consciousness elevate and change. It really is that simple. And, um, I, I, I've, so I, what I can see happening in my own life is having more of these kinds of conversations because this is what it takes, you know, and actually that's what changed my life was people holding space, creating space to have these kind of conversations. And I want to thank you so much, Jamal, this conversation, it made me feel happy because mm. there are people like you doing mm. things for others. We need, we need more people like you. And I just want to tell you that my doors, my, the RV doors will be always open for mm. you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And Jamal, I would like to know where we can find you. I'm sure our listeners are very excited to know more about you, about your book and your podcast. Mm, thank you. Yes. Um, you know, probably the best way people can get in touch with my podcast or my book or work is through my website. And my website is jamaljavanji.com. So it's my first and last name, jamaljavanji.com. And that's really a hub for everything I do. Mm -hmm. So Jamal, I wish you can come back. I hope you keep publishing meaningful books and that you can reach as many people as possible in this world. And mm. yeah, I just wish you all the best for your life. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening. And remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.